Hello again, everybody. There is the music. The puck is dropped, metaphorically, and we're back underway. Cool button, uncensored hockey podcast, episode 1515, Mr. Craig Button. And over the weekend, oh, so many little tidbits and storylines. I heard someone talking about pickleball stateside. And I thought to myself, my buddy Craig plays pickleball. Look what you've started. You started this thing. It's spreading like wildfire. People are playing pickleball all over North America because of you and your stitches a couple of years ago. The, the stitches happened in April, Steve. It happened right oh. before the, 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 the 20, uh, 20, 2020, 2021 trade deadline. I had to show up on air three days later with stitches, a black eye and everything. The funny thing about it for me was, is that I got all kinds of texts uh, from around North America, from friends and colleagues around. Go, what happened? And I started off, uh, you know, putting it there. Then I said, I got to do a copy and paste. I'm getting too many of these, right? You know, people were talking. And then, of course, then you get, okay, what's the real story? What's the real story? But I, I'll, I'll give you the backstory. I'll give you the whole real story. You want the real story? Sure. I'll give you the real story. Playing pickleball. It was a windy day. And uh, uh, one of the players on the other team, Christine, she, she's got magnificent hands. She was a, she was a uh, scholarship athlete in the U.S. for tennis. Anyway, great hands. And she spun me around and I fell. My sunglasses saved me. You know, that's what cut me. But I got to tell you the funny story about it, though, was when I go to the emergency room, the doctor, and she was probably about four foot 11. So there's three parts of this. The first part is this. She says, I always thought my first pickleball injury would be a sprained ankle or knee or something, not, not a cut face. So I explain, I tell her the story and everything. So we, we, we get a little bit of a chuckle. So then she's stitching me up. So I had the, I had the six on my cheek and three on my uh, eyebrow. So as she's getting ready to prepare my eyebrow, she goes, I'm going to use different color sutures. So I'm laying there and I'm going, there's different color sutures. Did you know there was different color sutures, Steve? No, 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 neither no. did I. So I asked her, I go, there's different color sutures. She goes, yeah, there's different color sutures. She goes, I'm going to use blue. And I said, oh, that's interesting. She goes, uh, here's why. She said, uh, if I put black in, somebody might mistake your eyebrows uh, for the stitches and you might get a free wax job. And I start to laugh. I start to laugh. I start to laugh. So anyway, she stitches me up. We finish. She's cleaning me up. And then she turns to me to finish. She goes, okay, you know what? Like, uh, you know, come back in, uh, in 10 days, whatever, get the stitches out. And just so you know, people that aren't nice to us get black stitches in the eyebrows. <laughs> so she liked you. She liked you. That's great. So there it is. You know what? Like, and, and I, Steve, I'll tell you what, you gotta be tough to play pickleball. You gotta, you, you gotta, you, you gotta be resilient. I, I was ready to leave my blood on the, on, on the court, but they said, you, you got to leave. You got, I, I want to carry on, but they, they said, no, you got to go to the hospital. <laughs> right. Well, um, tonight is Monday night beer league. So it's, there's oh, been a lot of pressure. There's a lot of pressure. Nothing. Yep. So I'm, I'm going to get a, a new stick right after this. And it's not going to be one, nothing tonight. Uh, if it's one, nothing, I'll score my own net. Cause it won't be one, nothing. I will make something happen tonight. We're not playing a one nothing beer league game this evening. Come heck or high water. I'll guarantee you that when we talk again Thursday. That's my okay, promise. I, to you. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you, you've, you've talked about going and getting a new stick. 
So, so therefore you have identified the potential problem as the stick. Are, are you, are you able to get new hands? Cause my scouting report on Steve Coolius is average hands, you know, feet are fast. Mind works rapidly fast. Hands sometimes have a tough time catching up. Can you get new hands? <laughs> I'm, I'm comfortable with my hands. I'll tell you this much. I will show you that your scouting report on my hands is one notch below where they should be. So tonight, the hands, the feet, the mind, and stick will be in unison like a symphony orchestra from the 1950s Walt Disney shows and cartoons. I will be in tune, my friend. Bass, violin, you name it. Well, that's good. I, I, I just know, like, it's funny. Uh, I saw a video of you dangling and everything. And then I looked at it. I, I, I turned to a friend of mine and it was, it, it was doctored. The video was doctored. It was your skating, your head, your uniform. It was Jess's hands. It wasn't your hands. It was Jess's hands. Now I know Jess has good hands. Okay. I've seen her dangle with the puck. That, that, that's pretty good video editing that you did there to, to <laughs> Well, we could use them on the podcast. <laughs> Do some video <laughs> anyway, Guelph wins in overtime Friday and Saturday. Uh, top 10 in Canada on the rankings. So there you go. So that was our weekends as it related to pickleball, beer league, and women's hockey. Well, I watched the women's game on Sunday night from Kingston. Canada up 2 nothing, And then the U.S. fought back in the third period and won it in overtime. And I'm going to be in Ottawa. Uh, for the Capital City Challenge, which is a U-17 uh, opportunity for 2005-born kids across Canada. They're all 63 kids are going there. But the fourth team is going to be the national women's team. So they're going to be competing against, uh, against the U-17 group. And what a thrill that's got to be for those kids to be able to say, I get to play against Marie-Philippe Poulin? Really? I, I get to play against Natalie Spooner? I'd like, I get to play against Renata fast. I get to play against Melody Dau, the MVP of the women's world championships. I, I, I'm so thrilled. I mean, having watched that team at the world championships, you know, watching the game and then being able to go into this tournament and you're going to see them. I, I'm fascinated to watch it because, uh, uh, the, the skill, the competitiveness, the tactics, the team play, it's phenomenal. And you know, by, you know, you're watching Guelph top 10 in the country now, you know, it, it, the, the progress of the game is, is just exceptional and, and, and it's only going higher. Absolutely. They're doing the things that the men and the boys are doing and the progression from 1990 in that first world championship with the pink sweaters and Michael Landsberg calling it. Uh, we've just gone 31, 32 years from there. So you can see uh, the rapid growth in so many areas. So I know you'll enjoy that. Uh, and I'm excited about that. And oh, what a surprise. Canada, and the United States play a tight game that goes to overtime. <laughs> That's a one goal game. So uh, a no surprise there. So over the weekend, we got a lot of bits and bites and maybe we'll go off and get on a rant and, and everything else. I want to start with Vegas winning again. They go five and one on the homestand. Laurent Brossois gets the win. Vegas started one and four. It was woe is me with all their injuries. So they win the game. Uh, the Alexander Texier goal with the OV skills move between his legs was a, was a beauty. But Matthias Yanmark scores the winner on a broken stick by Nicholas Haig. It worked out perfectly at the side of the net. Why are we talking about a broken stick and a 3-2 Vegas win? Well, earlier in the sequence, Yanmark received a pass that was offside and the play could have, should have, would have been blown dead. 
but they re-entered the zone, exited the zone, brought it back in again and scored. And what did the Blue Jackets do? They challenged the play. They challenged the play. The video coach said, no, Brad, don't do it. It was a rezone entry. They, they didn't score on the offside play. He overruled it. He owned it at the end. The goal was scored, and then they received a penalty. I ask you again, Mr. Craig Button, where are we on rules? How did somebody not just watch Arizona the week earlier when Andre Turney admitted he didn't know the rules on a re-entry? It happened again. The more I watch, I'm starting to think, is it time for a rule summit within the league? Is it Stephen Wacom's job? Or is it all the GMs that should say, listen, Let's do a reset here. Let's remind the coaches and video people. Let's not, it's one thing if it happens in November. We better not get this wrong in the playoffs that we don't know the rules, Mr. Button. Should we print more rule books for some of these guys and gals? Well, I mean, you can, you, I mean, it's not Stephen Wacom's job. It's not hockey operations job for, for people to know the rule book and to know the rules as it, as, as it pertains to the, to the plane of the game, right? And, you know, we now have video challenges and, you know, I mean, Steve, how many times you hear about, we know in the last minute of the game, there's no challenges. How many times do you hear on the broadcast? Well, they should challenge that. They can't challenge it in the last minute. Like stop. Like, so we're, you want to talk about coaches, managers, media, broadcasters, like they don't know the rules. Like, you can mandate anything you want. I mean, are we here to legislate? Do you need to know the rule book? Doesn't it just simply follow? You should know the rule book. Doesn't it just simply follow basic logic? Like, you know what that is? You, you know what that is? My, my father used to talk about, you know, there's rules, the, the, there's errors of commission trying to do something and errors of omission, which he always felt were unacceptable. Not knowing the rule book is an error of omission. That's on the people. You, you want to continue and, 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 be, and, and be exhibit A, exhibit B, exhibit C for not knowing the rule book? Just continue to do that. It's your job to know the rule book. Lou Lamarillo, Bob Ganey always said, it's your job to know the rule book, period. So get to know the rule book. I'm not telling anybody, no, we don't need a summit. We don't need a summit. We don't need Stephen Walkham or Hockey Ops to tell them. But you need to take responsibility for knowing the rule book. End of story. That's where it goes. And if you don't know, know it, shame on you. It's a failure. And it's an error of omission. So there's a lot of things that have changed. Some subtle, not some not. So well, wouldn't subtle. that be reason enough to go and get know what the changes yes. are too? Right. And I've told this before with, and we've talked about it. As simple as a shot from the point that hits the crossbar and goes over the net. We have been 15 years that the puck has stayed inside. A beautiful rule. And I've said the same thing. Why hasn't a rule like that changed in minor hockey, Hockey Canada, USA Hockey? And now, and some people still don't know that everything stays inside. There was a few plays over the weekend that coaches looked at each other and thought, oh, we caught a break there. The, the face-off face stayed inside. No, everything is, is inside. And you talk about the broadcasters. We had a, we had a, Goal that was off of skating in a few weeks ago, and they discussed on a major network rights holder about challenging a play that we don't challenge for kicked in high, whether the puck went in or a high stick. And I leave myself going, 
Am I like in the moment you're like, am I wrong? What, are the, what do you mean a challenge? The big graphic comes in, challenge. I, I think one of the best things, the new broadcasters, I, I'll use ESPN, having Dave Jackson there as a resource. He's been there for neon knee. He's been there for a high sticking penalty. It's almost as if, you know what? Maybe this is a perfect time for, I mean, you, Dan Marawelli to be part of either TSN or Rogers to have someone there to say in a moment where he puts his hand up and say, I want to say something. Fans are probably wondering why this faceoff is inside. That rules changed in 2007. Anything that's deflected in the offensive zone to increase offense stays in the offensive zone. Because in one of the games, the Penguins were complaining. One of the games, the Leafs were complaining. Why is that inside? Because they all stay inside. <laughs> Everything stays inside. I think there's enough subtleties there to have a guy to explain. Because I've talked to ex-NHLers going back to when we were on television to radio that say currently, I didn't know that was a rule. I'm not throwing them under the bus. They've said, I, I didn't know that was a rule. I didn't know that was a rule. I didn't know that was a rule. So I'm just wondering what else could be in play, Craig. That's a difference between winning or losing because people don't know the rules. And we, we have made changes. And, and we it's our job as broadcasters to stay on top, top of it. But when they're making those mistakes, I'm yelling, don't do it. Don't do it. And then it's done. They said it couldn't be done, but they done it. And they done it wrong. Well, then they're going to continue to do it wrong. Again, Steve, it's errors of omission. It's errors of omission. And there's no excuse for it. It's on the people that are doing it. And it doesn't matter who it is, right? And if you made a mistake, say, hey, listen, I made a mistake. Bottom line is, it's all there. We don't need to have summits. We don't need to have Dan Marwelli or anybody else telling them. The NHL, hockey ops, they, they lay it all out. Here it is. They, you know what else they do? They say, phone us. Phone us. We'll tell you. We'll explain it to you. Like, I mean, talk about a rules hotline. You have the rules hotline right to hockey ops. And, 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 they, and it still fails again and again. Don't worry, Steve. We, we, we can talk about this every episode. Okay. It's not ending. It's not ending. Trust me. And just because you're in the NHL doesn't mean that you're at a high level of performance. Whether, so just because you got 32 coaches that are in the NHL, don't assume that they all know the rules. Just because you have 32 general managers, don't assume that they all know the rules because they don't. I'll, let me finish on this part before we get into a great topic, and I know you're going to love it. So it's in Edmonton, Chicago, Edmonton. Oilers are all over the Blackhawks. All Four over minutes the, in four seconds. Yep, <laughs> right, which reminded me again of a broadcaster saying to a former player, why are they changing in the offensive zone? Who changing? The team that's got the puck. And he said, well, that's what we do, especially in the second period to keep things going. So it reminded me of, of like hockey 101. So and then the Oilers touch the puck with a high stick in the offensive zone. They, they, the shift has not yet hit the four minutes and 55 seconds. And I'm thinking to myself, if a Chicago player now touches this puck, I'm going to have a conniption because what they're going to do is allow the Oilers to swarm them like if they don't touch the puck, the Oilers are then forced. The whistle will then go. The whistle will then go and the play is over. The Hawk player played the puck. McDavid stripped them. And this whole circuit went on for another 90 seconds. And I thought right there, I see things that the boys and girls have done at 10. And you know what one of the dads said? Well, when they get older, they won't make this mistake. They, and now I've learned 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, Craig, 
same mistakes, different levels of hockey, different age groups, the same things are done. I would have said, why would you have touched that puck? The Oilers have a high stick coming. The whistle will go. And if nobody touches it, the clock will, the ref will automatically blow the whistle. And you sit and say to yourself, oh boy. And that's when I think it's just a game. It's just a game. And people make mistakes, the same ones at different levels. They do. And, but keep in mind, I mean, when you're tired, you, you, you know, they, they always talk about like your legs go and then, and then your thinking goes. And I think that that's, I think that that was a direct result of that. I mean, you're just, you're, you're trying to get the puck. You're, you you do not want to ice the puck because that's not going to help you. Right. I mean, the, the Oilers were just rolling through the offensive zone. They went through four lines, <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> and anyway, I mean, it happens. And again, it, age it, it hockey and, and we're dealing with the NHL and hockey bottom line is age doesn't have anything to do with it. Mistakes that you see like at, at, at 10 or 15 or, or, the, or ones you see at 28 and 37, you, you see it, you see it in international hockey. So when it's all said and done, the, the, it's not about age. It's not about level mistakes are going to happen because you have different variances in terms of skill level, you have different variances in terms of, you know, game situation awareness, and and, and that's not going to change. Don't think there's just somebody's in the NHL that they're not going to make that mistake. It's very interesting and intriguing. Um, the Calgary Flames, seven shutouts this year. The core was an issue going into the season. I think there's a lot of fancy stats. I think sometimes the easier stats tell the story, Craig, uh, about a certain team. The Calgary Flames are eighth in the league in goals for at 3.32. And Mr. Button, they're number one in goals against at 1.89. How much of this is, there are already great players there. How much of this is Mr. Daryl Sutter? Because last night with Dan Vladar, and then they won the night before, now the Anders have health issues, but the Flames had a beautiful weekend. You had a good weekend. You didn't get stitched. I had a good weekend. We didn't get shut out, but the Flames had a great weekend. Two games, two wins, and they are riding a wave right now. Sutter is blank responsible. Well, I mean, significantly responsible. Uh, you, you know, Daryl came into the team last year, and you know, coaches, like, you know, they take over a team, they, they, they identify what the issues are, and they have great confidence that they can fix them sooner rather than later. Sometimes they think they can fix them immediately. The reality of the situation is, is that it, it, it a lot of times takes longer than people might expect. And, you know, Daryl coming in and, and trying to get a feel, number one, for the problems. Number two, to try to get a feel for how the players uh, handle things, how, how they can handle different responsibilities. You know, you don't just come in and go, Oh, you have ideas. Okay. I want to play this guy here. I want to play this guy here. But until you get comfortable with your personnel, it takes time to, to, for them to get comfortable with what you're asking them to do. So, you know, Daryl wanted to turn it around quickly. Keep in mind, Steve, and, and I'll be very clear on this from the time that Bob Hartley was let go as coach of the Calgary flames. They had a long string of average coaching. Daryl had to do, I had to undo years of average coaching. Daryl is a superior coach. And what you're seeing now is the Daryl Sutter effect. And you know what? 
again, I'm going to say this. People want to, oh, yeah, you know, they got to they got to trade Johnny Goudreau. I, I said this last year. You want to trade Johnny Goudreau or Sean Monaghan? It's really easy. It's really, really easy. They're highly productive players that have great contracts. Here's the problem, Steve. You can never get value back. You can't get value back. And so, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, because people don't want to look deeper. People don't want to look and understand, okay, how average was the coaching? I'll tell you how average it was. Real average. That's how average it was. Daryl comes in. He's clear. He's clear, clear, clear about how he wants a team to play. He gives you direction. He gives you instruction. He works with you. Now, he also takes players and he says, here's your game. Do you see your game that way? I see your game this way. Okay, good. We agree. This is what I need from you. He will never ask a player to do more than he's capable of. But as a player, you better not do less. Because now you're going to have, you're going to be in the crosshairs of Daryl Sutter. And then he puts you in the situations where you can maximize those abilities individually and collectively for the team. It's no accident that he's been a top-notch coach. It's no accident that he's won two Stanley Cups. And guess what, Steve? It's no accident that with the skill that the Calgary Flames have, that they're playing as well as they are. They got a top goaltender in Markstrom. They got good defensemen. They got really good productive forwards. Now they have a team. There's, people want to look for the for oh they didn't do any additions in the offseason. No, they did. They added Blake Coleman and they added Tyler Pitlick and they added Nikita Zadorov and they added Erica Branson and you know they, they made some changes. It, it's what Daryl's done and Kirk Muller's a big addition to this coaching group. Coaching Steve. You got average coaching, you're going to get average results. You get superior coaching, you're going to get superior results. I don't care what sport you're in. That's what you're going to get. That's what the Flames got. It was always a, it was always fool's game to start saying, trade Johnny Goudreau. Trade him. Yeah, right. One of the most productive players in the NHL. Give me a break. Well, he's top 10 in scoring. Manjapani has 15 goals. I don't know what is and isn't sustainable. And what does this mean in the Pacific division then, because we're in a state, I'd let you go for a while. I'm going to go for a bit. So we've got the Edmonton Oilers. We've got Vegas coming on. We got the Calgary flames. When you're in one, two, and three, then you're in for sure. When you're in the four spot, then we have to worry about the other divisions. I'd like to think the ducks, this is fun, but it's, it's not sustainable. There's something about Calgary right now that when you can keep the puck out of your net and you do have, talent and now you talked about daryl sutter you say to yourself hmm i don't see this team in this division being any worse than third from what we've seen in california and seattle's well they kind of are where you would predict them they'd be at the start of the year so we're at a spot here that calgary edmonton vegas and then where the ducks eventually will be is great news for the flames to get in and then how sustainable this squad looks heading into the playoffs, Mr. Button, because if you're saying everything you're saying about Daryl Sutter, goaltending team defense, I named off the numbers. Um, why not Calgary to come out of the division? If, the, if there's three elite teams when Vegas is healthy, then why not? Why not the Calgary flames? We're a quarter of the way through the season, just about. And, you know, uh, what I would say is, is that, you know, and, and you, you know what Daryl's focused in on one thing Tuesday night versus the Chicago Blackhawks. 
He's not worried about the game after the Chicago Blackhawks, and he ain't worried about the Sunday's game versus Boston. He's worried about the next game. That's what good coaches do. They don't get ahead of themselves, okay? And, you know, I don't know what's sustainable or what's not sustainable. Remember, you know, a lot of things that we go on about sustainable, right? Like, you know, are, are, are based on a lot of, I shouldn't say, at times are based on our own predictions. So we didn't predict that Anaheim would be a good team. So now we go, oh boy, they're really good. Now we say they're not sustainable. Why? Because we're trying to gauge. Maybe we were just flat out wrong about Anaheim. You know what? We have to allow for that. Because if we're going to allow for not sustainable, we have to allow for we were flat out wrong. And that's going to happen. That's going to happen at times. It just is. That's a reality. So when I look at the at the division and everything, right, just keep playing. Keep playing. What, what are the things that give you success? Steve, you ran off the numbers. Goals against. <laughs> well, tell me what team was top five in goals against and didn't make the playoffs. <laughs> well, no, right. When you don't give up rush chances, take away middle uh, ice, and don't uh, allow a lot of chances in the in the house, you're you're gonna win. The Islanders, when they're on, that's what they did. Yeah. The difference is the Flames have deeper, higher end talent. Um, so I'm seeing I, I'm seeing Barry Trotz hockey, but but Daryl did it before Barry did it in Chicago before. So it's almost as Barry like Daryl's, and then Barry did it, and now Daryl's back in the league, and he's doing his. And you say to yourself, hmm, like this is this this is a well-oiled machine, or it's an orchestra that everyone, and you used Lou before, I don't need the drummer to be the the clarinet, uh, what is it, the violin, the clarinet, what is it, to help me out, clarinet? Oh, there's a clarinet, there's a the violin, clarinet. there's the yeah. saxophone, there's the trombone, there you there's go. the trumpet. <laughs> right, there, there's a lot there, and you only need to play your instrument when you're on cue um and i thought it was almost too easy last night it's almost been i mean if i'm daryl and there's a great gif as the kids say this morning it's uh what's your mood in calgary and it's daryl you wouldn't know if he won lost got fired got hired was planning a parade or was thinking about milking the cows and i admire it because i can't be that way you know with me you know if i got two pair castanets you got two pair, Cooley, and I know it because you got a smile. You got two seven because you're like this. So the um, admirability of being like this is so important because mood is also what the players feel. And I think with Daryl back there, you know what they feel? In control. The Flames are in control. Well, I, I, I totally agree with you. And, and, you know, when you talk about, you know, it's at a high level. Steve, you know, you talked about Barry Trotz. You, you, you talked earlier about John Cooper. You talked earlier, you talked about Daryl Sutter. I, I talked to Mark Hunter, who, who, who I believe, you know, it sh should be in every conversation to be an NHL general manager. He should be in every conversation, any, any opening anywhere in the league, Mark Hunter's name should be right near the top of the list, if not at the top of the list. We, we talk about this all the time. Coaching. You know, Mark and I talk about, don't think that there's that many good coaches. There aren't, Steve. There aren't that many good coaches. And I don't care where you're at, NHL, American Hockey League, CHL, College Europe, there aren't that many good coaches. 
And what good coaches show you all the time is that there aren't that many good coaches. <laughs> and that's what Trotz and Sutter and Cooper, and that's what they show you. That's what they show you. This stuff about you're in the NHL and you're a good, like, just because you're in the NHL, you're a coach. No, it's not true. It's not true. Dale Hunter, in my view, is one of the best coaches anywhere. He's not in the NHL. So let's just dispatch with the idea that just because you're in the NHL, you're a good coach. Dave Tippett's a real good coach. We know that. Bruce Cassidy's a real good coach. There's other coaches that are going to emerge and come, but there's a whole lot of average in this league. And trust me, Steve, that ain't changing. Yep. That's a great rant. And it relates to going back to the bow of 10, 15, 20. There's a whole lot of average and not so good. And, you know, good that they're doing it, the volunteers. Yeah. And then others that are getting paid, I just watched two games, the difference between possession hockey, make a play hockey. You tried to make a play that didn't work, that's okay. Against dump and chase, get it out, glass it out, live to fight another day. The scoring chances were 57 to 12. And eventually playing what I call skilled hockey, my right way of saying, believe in the process. And if we lose, we lose. But if we're always gonna, I see teams, and it was a play the other night because I made it. I, we, I talked about it on the show. Puck was in the camera left wing corner. The team broke out. They made the center breakout. And the idea was we're going to maintain possession, break out, control the neutral zone, zone entry, center drive, kick it out, fake shot, and scored. That happened from the breakout. The pass in the breakout leads to the entire sequence where we talk about the coaches at different levels and most NHL coaches are getting into the possession, some panic with others, but that play of making that play, the pass that started the breakout to the goal. That's just beautiful. That's a work of, that's a symphony. And I loved it because I thought that's the play as opposed to, Oh my God, off the glass, Craig, get it out. Oh my God. What are we doing? No, we're controlling the puck. We're controlling the play. And it's, it's just a beautiful thing to watch. And it was that easy. Like you said, everybody would do it. Everybody would believe it. There's some coaches that speak it, but there's a lot that don't. And the ones that speak it, practice it, use it. I think they have to win or the process for them is in a better position to win because why, when you have the puck, do we give it away? There's a time we have to change. There's a time to chip and chase. But for the most part, I worked so hard to get it, Craig. And now I'm going to give it away. I just love when I see skill and will together. And that play was an example of just, I think every coach should have that clip, the breakout through the zone, gain zone entry and score. I loved it. It's, it's beautiful. 1972, Steve, the, uh, the, the Soviets came over in the summit series. And in the first game in the Montreal forum, it was two nothing for Canada. Very, very fast. And then the Soviets took over the game and the appreciation for what the Soviets were doing. I don't think was there from a public standpoint because the public had been conditioned that the Soviets were no good, that they were just going to get wiped off the face of the hockey map and do nothing. They go, Oh yeah, here we go. Right. You talk all those players that played for team can, not all of them, but a lot of them talked about, Oh my God. They'd never seen anything like that. <laughs> they said we were lucky to only lose seven to three. But what they showed was 
holding the puck, puck possession and everything. You know what you want to do. The Montreal Canadiens back in the 50s and then the 60s, they had puck possession. Scotty Bowman told me years ago, he goes, Craig, puck possession? Like, who, who doesn't want the puck? <laughs> like, really? Like, you know, it's almost like puck possession has become this new term. No, it isn't. To your point just now, you know, if you have the puck and you want to find a way to keep the puck, that's as simple as that. There's going to be times where you got to give up the puck because if you don't give it up there, you're going to create problems for yourself. And, you know, th that's just a part of the, the fluidity of the game and what other teams are trying to do. But to your point, you know, it's not just when you have the puck, it's other players. How are they, how are they reading the play to be open so they can get the puck and your team can keep the puck. That's what the Soviets showed in 1972. Right. And there's been a, there's been an adaptation. The Montreal Canadians held the puck when they won all those cups in the seventies, they won all the, <laughs> you know, so the idea of puck possession, it is not new. It's never been new. The Soviets developed it. The Montreal Canadians had it and it's always a good idea. So at the end of the day, right, you're talking about thinking at a higher level, like, you know, thinking at a higher level, processing the game at a higher level. And that's where we can really, you know, with younger kids, Hey, make a play with the puck. Think about it. Craig Ramsey. I worked with Craig Ramsey, who was a terrific, terrific player in the NHL in his role. 20 goal score, 250 goals in the NHL, you know, checker, you know, defensive player, two-way player. He always, he always, he always would tell what, what were you thinking there? What were you thinking there? Oh, well, he goes, you weren't thinking, were you? <laughs> like, right? Like, you know, think, think a lot of, a lot of like, you know, we start talking about the coaches in the rule book, just stop and think for a second. Think, didn't we do that three episodes back? Think, Craig? Uh, well, let me give you an example of think. And then I want to kind of talk about the lightning. I don't know the Braden point. He kept playing. Maybe it's a concussion. Maybe it's a shoulder injury. But so I'm watching the Sabres Rangers last night. The last two Sunday schedules have been really good. Normally we, we get, we, we get, you know, soft Sunday schedules in the NHL. But last Sunday and this Sunday have been really good. So I'm watching the game. The puck's in the corner. There's 10 seconds and the clock is winding down. And I'm thinking to myself, at some point here, at some point here, Adam Fox is going to play the clock because there's no use the horn going and his feet touch the blue line. As I'm thinking this, and Jeff Skinner wasn't, Adam Fox then comes right in. And I thought, oh, this is great. Like, not, not that he might score or they might score. It's, it's thinking that sometimes, you know, I feel... I feel I know no more now at my age than I've ever known before. I've been taught well. I've learned. I've watched Kevin Lowe just said, don't be like some of those media guys. Just pay attention. And 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 I, if Gordie Howe stayed late after practice in 1980 as a Hartford Whaler because the game was changing, he was 52, he must have had the feeling of, wow, this is this new thing that we're doing. So I see Adam Fox play the clock because if the puck's lost and there's a breakaway for the Sabres, they have four seconds to go 180 feet. They're not going to do it. He plays the clock. Skinner doesn't know that he's there. They're all puck watching like they're 10 years old and it's minor peewee. The puck comes out. And I think almost on purpose, Kreider went, I could have got it out at any point. There was no reason to. And then he gets it to Fox. Now I think Fox is going to shoot. So do the Sabres. He gives it to Zabanishad. They think he's going to shoot. No. And he pop, pops it to Lindgren back door. They score with under a second left. I thought it was bravo because it was thinking. It was thinking. And I like to reward thinking because, and the Sabres weren't. If Skinner turns around and just says, I've got Fox, I've got Fox, he can't do anything. There was another player in front of the net. 
But for Fox to come down and do it, I thought, I've got two kids. One of them would have made that play and the other wouldn't have. And the one that did, play the clock. What are you doing in there? You're a defenseman. There's four seconds left. Puck's in the I'm going to be an option. And that's what Lindgren and Fox, if you haven't seen it, it's a moment that makes you say, wow, I want to reward Craig. And my rant today is about thinking. That was thinking. I loved it. Situational hockey, Steve. It's situational hockey. And, and, and that gets developed in practice. I've watched Adam Fox play since he was 16 years of age. He's always been a thinker. He's always been a thinker. Always had the ability to, to put his mind uh, to good use and, and, and to threatening use. And, and you saw that. I mean, he wins the Norris Trophy. Come back and I, I want to ask you a question uh, in, in a second when I finish this. But this is my Bill Belichick, you know, accolades. He's been pretty good. He's been pretty good. Seven and four. Seven and four. Rookie quarterback. Everybody, I mean, he's only done it for two decades. He's only done, he's only done brilliance and excellence for two decades. And all he ever talks about is next game. Last game doesn't matter. Next practice. All he, all he worries about is what I can control. And he, he's always coaching situational football. What are we going to do here? What are we going to do there? What are we going to do there? Right? So Adam Fox is a thinker, right? And, and you know, you get more thinkers, guess what? Thinking it, 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 it spreads. It, that, that's the most beautiful thing. It spreads, right? And you don't have to be like an elite hockey sense guy, but you start to go, Oh, wait a sec. I'm playing with Adam Fox. I'm playing with, wow. Now you raise it all. You raise it all, raise it, raise it, raise it. And it's unbelievable to watch. And you know, uh, I don't know if you're a Bills fan. I got lots of friends that are Bills fans, and I admire what the Bills are doing. I really do. But you know what? Don't ever write off Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots. Just don't ever do it. Just like we started off talking about Daryl Sutter, don't write him off. You know how many times I had people say, oh, he's an old coach. Oh, he's a dump and chase coach. And I, all I do is go, you don't know Daryl. You don't know Daryl. <laughs> you just don't. Go ahead. Make your assumptions, and people love to make assumptions. Here's my question for you. We do a core four under 24, okay? The top four players on each team under 24 years of age, 24 uh, and under. And, you know, we rank the top 50. We do the top four for each team, and then we do the top 50. Here's my top three. <laughs> Are you ready? Yes. Number one is Kale McCarr. Yep. Number two is Adam Fox. Number three is Meryl Hayskinen. All three defensemen, okay? All three defensemen. I ask you, my friend, <laughs> is that order right? I mean, I think you could move that order around, but what are your thoughts on those top three as the best core four under 24 players in the NHL? I love them. And at any moment, Miro's the one, Fox is the one. I mean, Kale's game the other night against Seattle, it was the one he... It was a great line by John Buchagross. Kale McCarr is acting like Connor McDavid from the back end tonight. And, and he was. And he, was he was a right-handed Connor McDavid from the back end. And when, when we look at them, there's, there's so many unbelievable things that they do. And then we could argue, because they're all so good with the puck, the difference in kind of ranking them may or may not be how good you feel they're, how McCarr would defend McDavid, Fox defending McDavid, and Heiskanen defending McDavid. If, and I don't think there's a standout in either of the three that says, no, no, this guy can do this and this guy can't do that. I think they're all similar in all their offensive attributes. 
high-end skill and hockey sense. And it's not as if any one of them is more Rod Langway than the other, Craig. So it's a virtue. If it was a horse race, it's win, place, and show for sure. But we better look at the photo finish to see whose nose is ahead of the next one. And I love it because they're all so special. So special. And number four is Charlie McAvoy, just so you know. Right. <laughs> like yes. who's, who's different, right? Like, I mean, he, he fits more into that, into that. Uh, hey, listen, my greatest strength might be defending, right? But, you know, all my point is, is, is it, it wasn't very long ago that the top guys were McDavid, right? And Matthews, the forwards, are yeah. the defensemen taking over? Well, and I hope someday Bull Byron will be healthy enough to be yes. in the group, right? And, and we talked about him last week. Uh, I guess we're like 90 seconds into the close. Tampa Bay, now Braden Point. What they've been able to do is, is there a fear of falling out of a three spot with Boston? You know, I, I think when you crash into the boards and you still get a penalty shot and almost score, and now you're out, you know, is it week to week? Do we know? Is this, is, like, is this the straw that broke the Coopers back? Or will the Lightning find a way? I think they're still better than Boston. I still think they are. But the length of this injury could be the determining factor. Where are you on the lightning before close? I, I, I don't know what the, I mean, injuries are part of it. All I know is, is that the Tampa Bay Lightning are 10, 4, and 3. <laughs> They're 10, 4, and 3, Steve. Okay. If you want to be worried at 10, 4, and 3, go ahead. The, the Tampa Bay Lightning, don't worry me. <laughs> they got they got an excellent defense. They got an excellent goaltender. They got more than enough skill up front. Hey, nobody wants to play without Braden Bourne or Kucherov, but the Tampa Bay Lightning, they're top to bottom. They're, they are well-coached. They are well-managed. And their players play it very well. Two Stanley Cups back-to-back with all the challenges they've had. I'm not worried about the Tampa Bay Lightning. And if you think on November the 22nd that I'm going to be worried about the Tampa Bay Lightning, give yourself a shake. <laughs> I'm a little worried. I'm a little worried how long the injury goes. That's a lot of man games lost and bodies from the Stanley Cup from the third line and Johnson and 86 and 21. And what I mean by worried is saying, uh oh, do I do they look over and see and see Boston? So clearly they're not as good with all those guys out that we can agree on that. They're clearly not as good with all those guys out or the, the third line that's all gone. We can end on that, right? Oh, hey, listen, every team changes, Steve. They're 10, 4, and 3. You can be worried all you want. I don't worry about injuries. They won a Stanley Cup without Steven Stamkos. They didn't have Steven Stamkos for, for, for the exception of five minutes. How many teams can overcome the loss of a star player like Steven Stamkos? How many? One. <laughs> Them. So I guess what you're saying, to use our musical analogy, the beat goes on until next time cool button uncensored hockey podcast